protect yeah, the, the nest is the original product and it's just a, it's a thermostat i don't know okay. if it's designated somehow new hope or something i'm not sure but okay. the um <laughs> the, uh... hey everybody welcome to episode 107 of the more than just code podcast my name is tim mitchell and i am in toronto ontario and i'm joined once again by aaron bay in whitby ontario Hello there. And we have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We're also graced by the presence of Greg Hio down in San Francisco, California. Hello. All right. And I was doing my, my usual pre-show routine of going through the, uh, this document on my iPad. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think um, this yes, is all the Tim and Jaime show. And Greg. It looks like also the all FU show, actually. So Greg, you did the, um, the neural network one? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's worth talking about it. You just put a note in the show notes because it's just a sure. long blog post. I was going to make it my pick, but I'm not actually that interested in neural networks. So it's not yes. pick worthy for me, at least. Well, but... our, our neural netmeister is not on the show today. So can I have a little piece of follow up on that one? Because I, at the time I was kind of kicking myself. You know how you listen to the show afterwards and you uh, point out things about yourself that you hear and are horrified at. And uh, such a thing happened last week after Mark explained how neural networks work. And my response was, well, sounds sort of like, but you know, when I listened to his explanation again, uh, this weekend, I was uh, totally uh, filled in. I think that his explanation was actually wonderful, and uh, very clear and very to the point. And I don't know what the hell was wrong with me that it didn't make sense. At the time, yeah. At the time, yeah. So I felt like a total dummy. Like, he, he says something perfectly clear and reasonable, and then I go, rant, 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 which is ridiculous. So my apologies to Mark. You're not here, but if you listen to the show, uh, sorry that uh, I belittled your explanation in that and, way. And to the listeners of the show, in other words, just, just go back and listen to it again. Yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. All right. Of course, we had the... Uh, 9.3.5 update that came out last week as a security update. And by the way, if you are listening to the show and you have not updated to uh, iOS 9.35, stop the podcast and go and update and we'll wait. All right, now you're back. Yeah, so even the government of Canada got involved with with let notifying people about this issue. And uh, so there's two links in the show notes, one about uh, Apple security update uh, posted by the Public Safety Department of the Government of Canada to all of our citizens. Um, and as well, I found a link on Eric Idle's um, Twitter stream about who are the hackers who cracked the iPhone. And he goes into, it's an article on bbc.com about the people who discovered the, uh, the, that the exploit was there. And uh, there's an organization called NSO. And they're the ones that, um, I guess they notified Apple that it was happening or something to that effect. Um, and apparently, like we, we all postulated a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this that uh, we're talking about possible exploits of ios and it is a, it is uh as we've guessed a big business and it was confirmed in this article as well that it's a, a big business there's lots of um evildoers out there willing to pay lots of money to find ways to get your private information and uh fortunately apple took 10 days to turn around and uh close this hole up and we talked about this before because aaron was explaining uh, what was that thing called that I asked about? Um, zero day? Yeah. Exploits, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so any comments on this stuff, you guys? This is actually very serious. It's like the first um, sort of remote accessible exploit that's available for iOS. 
this is like the first big one as far as i know yeah that um you know i do seem to remember there being a jailbreak uh some years ago like for ios 4 or something like that that uh you could implement by visiting a website and that was a jailbreak it wasn't an actual you know obviously a jailbreak is an exploit of the operating system right i don't remember or hear or remember hearing about that being weaponized in the way that this one has been and so uh 9.3.5 uh is out to fix that one and, and apple did it in record time uh for those running the ios 10 beta my understanding is that the beta 5 i want to say or 6 that was rushed out shortly before uh you remember that one beta that was like just for out for like five days and then there was a new one mm-hmm, and it was for mm-hmm. ios only i think that was ios beta 6 um that that addressed this as well so anyway, uh, I don't know about you, but I've been rushing around telling everybody I know that runs iOS to update. Uh, my dad, so freaked out by a message from his bank, called me this morning and said, okay, son, you know, on my Mac, uh, how do I get 935 installed there? <laughs> so I had to sort of sit him down and explain to him, listen, <laughs> totally different OS. Yeah, and it's funny. I I had the same experience, like people pulling off the side of the road to call me and saying, hey, do I need to do this right like right now? I'm like, no, no, no. You can (laughs) when you get a chance. But yeah, as soon as possible, for sure. But hey, you know, the uh, information certainly got out there. So Um, was this this was an exploit that was discovered or did somebody actually take advantage of it? Yeah, somebody took advantage of it. Like there there's, you know, links out in the wild that you could hit theoretically that uh, that will perform this exploit and allow root access to your phone. Yeah. So, you know, people were saying, do not tap any links that you don't fully trust uh, if you don't have this update. Right. Crazy. I don't know. It makes you wonder about uh, security experts, such as they are. Uh, you know, because <laughs> the, the kind of thinking that you have to do to be able to, to find these vulnerabilities in software and take advantage of them, uh, that's, that's a, a whole nother level as far as I'm concerned. Like, I, I can barely figure out APIs that don't have documentation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what is up with these folks? I remember a lot of the early days ones, or the ones in the early days, like the ones that the jailbreak community would take advantage of, were always like an ex, you know, some buffer overflow in like the PDF reader or like the TIFF yeah, file reader, yeah. right? That, that's that's right. what they always were. Like they would tend to rely on some kind of open source component that they knew Apple would have. And then uh, I remember the one jailbreaker was like, just go to this website and there's a PDF on there and click on it and then your phone will be jailbroken and then that's it. That's um, right. So yeah, I think that's always the... Uh, I forget which one, which person on this, on this podcast doesn't like using lots of third-party code. Mm, I don't know. He seems to be away today. Mm, okay. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I generally don't. I'm not a huge fan of using third-party one, code. Neither am I. Not for the security reason necessarily, but I mean, that is one more strike against it is it's just more code that you may not understand and who knows what they're doing, allocating buffers and reading past the end of them and whatnot. So from what mm-hmm. I remember, that's what the ex- exploits tended to be. It was kind of third-party stuff, unsanitized input, that kind of thing. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. This one, I don't know. I didn't look at the details of what this problem was, but um, I'm just saying historically, that's kind of what it's been in iOS. It's not, hasn't always been like, oh, Apple made a mistake in, you know, XNU or whatever in their own code. It always tended to be third-party stuff, what I remember. Yeah, well, security is always, like, it's, it's always, like I said, it's always been a pet peeve of mine because... <laughs> People have I've watched people be pretty cavalier over the last ten or fifteen years working in in this business, and um, you know they they have Lucy they have like you know their their passwords are the ones listed on those top twenty five passwords never to use kind of thing, and um, they kind of just go very cavalier about it. And then I have other clients you know on the other side who are just too, super paranoid about things, you know. So 
And it's one of these things, like, how can you, like Aaron said, how can you possibly know all the sort of ins and outs of all this stuff? I mean, you know, um, we've seen some of our friends, you know, demonstrate how to use LLD debuggers to take apart apps that they don't own and, you know, all kinds of crazy things, right? So, and then notwithstanding the jailbreaking community who feel that they, you know, they have to have control of their devices and, and they end up just defeating all the security pl- stuff that Apple puts in place, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of an interesting uh, take on, and, and we're not saying that this is the case uh, because we're not entirely certain whether uh, open source in the kernel uh, was a problem or not. But it is kind of an interesting exercise in, you know, the classic saying of like, um, probably misattributed and probably misstated. And I'm probably going to misstate it now, but I'll I'll sort of correct it to, to get it you know, in the right way. Is the, you know, security only through obscurity is not very good security at all and and that's true right um but it sort of misses the the flavor when it gets re you know bounced around uh, particularly when you hear it as missing that critical piece where it's being said as you know security through obscurity is you know not very good security at all it's like well it, it's better than nothing right it kind of depends on what you're, you're you're dealing with and obscurity is a perfectly valid means of adding a layer of security in addition to other layers, right? Like if you don't know that a target exists or where the target is, you cannot break into it, right? Like that's just kind of like a first principle sort of thing. So while it may not be necessarily problematic that the kernel is uh, open, um, it certainly makes it easier for the folks who were already accustomed to digging through hex editors to look at, at everything, right? Now it's like, oh, I can just read it as actual words, yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as a developer would, would reasonably do. I think we can look to things like, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the other uh, the other one, but remember the open SSL bug, the uh, heart bleed? Fail. Yeah, yeah, oh. heart, heart bleed was, was, the, was the big one, and that was the, uh, the go-to-fail one, if I remember correctly. And there was another one that had uh, obviously less catchy name because I didn't remember it. Like it's it's not necessarily true that like oh well open source means that more eyes will look at it it'll be better uh, that's maybe generally true in the sense of uh, normal code but I think uh, touching a little bit on like what what Aaron was mentioning that you know it's really hard to do security uh, it's like super hard I think you have to have uh, sort of a knack for it uh, certainly a focus on it and there's a handful of people who get paid a ton of money to do this sort of stuff for for that very reason right it's it's not like you can just roll your own security and call it good. Yeah, it takes me back again to that talk I saw at C4 in 2008, where they had uh, Wolf Wrench, who ran that conference, brought in some security experts of the kind we're talking about here to give a talk to um, app developers about implementing security in their apps. And it was a hilarious and engaging uh, presentation that the nut of which was basically, don't even bother. Like, if you, no matter what you do, you as the app developer uh, can't really do much to prevent a dedicated attacker from breaking your app. And and they, they threw down a whole bunch of examples of other situations where attackers had compromised apps. And I wish that this talk were still available online, but it's not. Um, I remember uh, asking Wolf Wrench himself, and uh, he says it's kind of out of his hands posting it for some reason. And um, that is an unfortunate loss to the community because I think uh, it would have spread the depression all around if if it were available. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember as well. I saw a piece, and I'll have, to, I'll have to dig it up, and probably take me a while to find it. But um, I read a blog post in 2012, 2013, when I was working on a major app, and you know, I had you know 
lots of concerns about you know accessing servers and passing information back and forth to servers and how it's encrypted and that kind of stuff and um, and then what what can somebody do with your app once they've got it on their phone right like uh, you know if they've got a jailbroken device they can you know take a look at what's in it they can unzip the IPA and have a poke around and this um, this article or blog post sort of pointed out all the different ways to, that you could try to, you know, emulate what they would do and see what things you'd left, like, you know, strings and stuff like that you'd leave loose in your, uh, in your app, maybe some comments or some, some uh, that you leave in the app that, that might find, you know, make a clear path to someone else as to how they can take apart your app or what they can do with it. Um, and I'll have to find that, but that was an interesting read. And it was at the same time, like you said, like scary because it was like, okay, I, things that I didn't even know people could do, uh, with an app, you, you just assume it's a binary executable and how bad, you know, what can, how can they, you know, t- it's signed by Apple and it's signed by your device and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, yet when you jailbreak a device sort of, you know, you have root, you can have root access and away you go. And then that's exactly what this exploit is doing is it's jailbreaking your phone without your new, knowing it's been jailbroken. Right, and then leaving no trace. That's the other part that I find really creepy. All of that is true. Right. Yeah, and I think uh, hopefully that I, I haven't seen that talk, but hopefully it sort of mentions it from a um, you know it, it kind of depends on what your your goal is, and I and I think I would agree quite rightly with the idea that if your goal is to prevent you know any intrusions, it's it's like you're bound to fail, right? Because there's all sorts of resources, particularly, uh, let's say, like government resources that would be very, very interested and have essentially, you know, bottomless budgets with which to do this sort of thing, right? Because they're not trying to be profitable in any way, like, like some sort of crime syndicate would be. Um, But hopefully, it's more in the lines of, well, if you at least do these basic things to keep out, like, the basic level of, of, you know, malfeasance, just like having, uh, and I, I swear I've mentioned this at some point in like a podcast, uh, in some episode somewhere, like, you know, the door locks on your door, like they're, they're not going to stop anybody who's seriously looking to get into your house, <laughs> right? But at least it keeps like random drifters from going through and, and stealing your MacBook Pro. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a house inspector once and my wife and I were just going through the house we're living in now and he sort of said to him, so what kind of locks should we get for the door? And he goes, yeah, it says locks only keep out honest crooks. <laughs> yeah, it's like the foundation of security of your home is like, I'm going to get a piece of metal shaped a certain way that no one else could possibly duplicate, right? It's just a little, it's it's kind of silly when you think about it like that, but yeah. And I was at the Maker Fair a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, and they were showing people how to pick locks, which was also fun and interesting, you know, so. Yeah, I remember, remember when the um, TSA had published a photograph of the sort of master keys and people like 3D printed them. And just based on the photograph, right. and they're like, oh, we made all the keys, so here they are. Like, just taking a picture of a key is enough. Just like Mission Impossible, they push it in, into the plasticine with their thumb and make a key. <laughs> yeah. Silly putty to the wind, for the wind. All right. Enough security scariness for now? Yeah, it's depressing if you get too deep into it. Actually, one of my, this reminded me, um, I had another pick scheduled for tonight, but I'm going to switch it out for a different one now, thanks to this discussion. So we'll come back to it. Uh, another piece of follow-up. Uh, last week on the show, I talked about Dave DeLong, who I thought at the time was an evangelist at Apple, and uh, Evan Deckheiser, friend of the show, uh, wrote in to us uh, via Twitter, Tim? Uh, actually, through it? Slack. Slack, yeah. Okay, through Slack. To remind us that he's now working on the Maps team, Dave DeLong uh, moved from California uh, and took up residence somewhere in middle America, I believe. <laughs> Utah <laughs> Maybe we'll get is what a- we were saying. Utah. 
I thought it was Utah. Utah sounds sounds about right. Yeah. So er, Evan was one of the uh, fortunate people um, to get a, a scholarship this year. He tried last year, didn't get in, but this year he got in. And so, of course, he was talking to all kinds of Apple people. And, uh, he was telling us that that's uh, one, of the, one of the little tidbits of information he was able to extract from them. So Right. Yes. Uh, we, and now we can all say how lucky he was to get a ticket. None of us did and blah, blah, blah. Well, we didn't try. Did we? <laughs> I didn't try. Did you try? I, don't I remember tried. That. I tried. Yeah, we all I tried. tried. Okay. So uh, that's that. There's a little bit of follow-up there. Correction. Mm-hmm. Tim, you have something about, I don't know how this is follow-up. I don't even know what it is. A video from Dickens to Star Wars. Yeah, no, I was talking to, I was talking about, uh, I think this might have been the after show last week, Jaime, I remember we were talking about Star Wars and the fact that I d- I, I'm currently cleaning out my, my basement and, you know, came across a, a DVD, official DVD release copy of Star Wars, the movie. <laughs> I'm not even going to say A New Hope because it's not even on the on the tin and it's not on the on the scroll. Um, and uh, we were just talking about uh, the fact that I had this copy of Star Wars and it wasn't called A New Hope and it wasn't called Episode 4. And uh, so that opened up some conversations during the week and on uh, with people. And so I found, um, I was actually doing some research for a talk I'm doing and I found a, an interesting video by a guy, and now I've forgotten his name, He's called the Nerd Writer, and he does a, um, a series of talks. Really interesting stuff. He's a, a, a filmmaker who went to film school, so he's clearly interested in, in the genre. And this is an interesting piece about serialization and how it started with Dickens with the Pickwick Papers, and was a quick and easy way for a large publisher to publish, you know, um, a, a large books to, and have them just to the delivered to the masses who were starting to read through newspaper. And how that kind of evolved into where we are today with Star Wars and the new reboot of episode, uh, the new episode seven, which is, you know, leaving open the promise that Star Wars is going to be a, a continuing serial as opposed to a serial that has a beginning, middle and end um, and a number of episodes in between. And how, you know, now they're able to have secondary plots like the Rogue One piece that's coming out um, in this December. December. Thank you. Yeah, I think every year they're going to release Disney's going to release a movie of some type every christmas probably for the next several years until they go back into the vault you can't yep. get them anymore yeah so anyway so i just discovered this I, I i knew i had a copy of star wars somewhere um as i remember seeing it back in the day i don't know when it when it became a, a new hope uh so i think around the time the video releases when the first remake started happening um and actually also on the show notes from last week at the very bottom i put a link to a wikipedia article that i found about discusses for all the nerds out there all the different um, uh, changes that happened in each one of the rewrites and the reissues, if you will. That was what that follow-up is about. Okay, cool. moving on. We've got iPhone owners suing Apple over touch disease. This is something we talked about on the previous show uh, regarding soldered, soldered, I can't even say it, solder joints <laughs> popping off the board. And there's now a lawsuit about it. And so Tim has pasted in an article here if you want to read more about this little problem, which has been named touch disease. Yeah, and it's called touch disease because it's the touch chips that are popping off the board. Yes. Yeah, there was a, a video I was watching earlier on that. Yeah, this doesn't, it doesn't seem to like it's going to have the legs of a bend gate or an antenna gate. Um, and I, I even give bend gate too much credit by calling it that. Uh, antenna gate was really the only one that really spurred Apple to act. And uh, I think that's arguably was kind of bs as well um so don't don't see touch disease going very far i mean i've got one of these phones too by the way and uh, it's fine touch is like a dream yeah yeah mine's not okay. exhibiting this behavior but uh, as an altogether different behavior my six plus 
the lightning jack seems to be a little bit loose. Um, and, I, and I thought maybe it was the, the cables, and I, I tried different cables, and I tried it with different devices that I have. Um, and even some older devices that are around the same age are totally fine. So I don't know if I did something to that or if there's, like, a new problem. And maybe I'm patient zero. Have you checked it for pocket lint? That would you know, make I, it I, I will right now, and then we'll do some yeah. real-time follow-up. Get a nice a wooden wooden toothpick and clean that thing out. Yeah, or, or a twist tie. Yeah, one of those metal twist ties. I had a, an iPhone for... A couple of months was acting up. I couldn't get it to charge. I couldn't get it to sync. And, and I Googled around and I found a YouTube video about some guy said, yeah, just take a twist tie and just put a little hook Wooden in it. Wooden toothpick. No, no metal. Sorry. I think I took a photo with my phone of the piece of lint that came out of the, the lightning jack. It's astounding it, I, how it gets compacted. In yeah, there. yeah. I sure. had one in the headphone jack and I was like, oh, that's the shape of it. I mean, you know what the shape of a headphone jack is. But yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a substantial piece of lint. I loved it. Right. That was great. I might, I might uh, give that a try uh, with, with the with the non-conducting toothpick. I think is probably the better idea. Yes. Let's, yes. let's not put please, any forks. Please don't use a metal twisters. A metal metal twister. Use a fork. Get a fork and use the fork. <laughs> Luke, Make myself some fork. toast in the bathtub at the same time. Greg, did you he want to talk about anything. shutting down an app? Uh, so we we can go back to about uh, talking about Vesper. Yeah. Well, last week you guys covered the news about Vesper shutting down. And then I think in one of the original posts, there was the suggestion, um, maybe in on Brent Simmons's, Brent Simmons's blog in Essential.com. And there was a su- suggestion that maybe the app should be open sourced. And so there was a follow up post talking about how the sync will be shut down. And of course, the app will still work and so on. But they are planning on open sourcing the app minus the fancy font that they had in there because they had to buy that and they can't put down the repository. So Turns out that's going to be open sourced. And then I saw a follow-up tweet also from the designer whose name has escaped me. Who is Dave the... Whiskus. Dave Whiskus, thank you. And he also tweeted that he would release the uh, PSD files of the design for people to look at too. So you'll be able to see how the sausage is made. Uh, there's this, another another sausage being made. Podcast What's up with and the apps. people and sausages? My goodness. You're Who freaking knows? me out. You really don't people. want to know how they're made, man. Okay. Um, that's, you know, that's going to be really good. I mean, it's, it's worth noting that the code base is several years old at this point. It predates Swift. So it's all objective C and, uh, it's going to be an predates iOS example. 7. Yes, that's right. It yeah. was originally built for iOS six, yeah. uh, which was, as you know, all, you know, skeuomorphic. <laughs> and now, uh, it, it was one of the first apps to, uh, eschew skeuomorphism and it did so just before iOS seven came out and they had to recast it. Uh, to better match iOS 7, even though plenty of people thought it was fine as is. But the point I'm trying to make, though, is that Brent Simmons is a well-known developer, a very smart cookie, and has blogged extensively about the thinking process that he puts into uh, his work. So seeing his code, warts and all, according to Brett, uh, will will be very interesting, I think. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to it. I think he said by the end of the Mm year-ish. Yeah. Uh, they're planning to post that code. I will look forward to reading that code. I always love reading code, so yes, absolutely. I think he wrote a long series about how they implemented Sync. Is that right, Aaron? Yes. There was like a seven-part series or something like that? Yeah. So maybe yeah. that covers more of the Node.js um, Azure services part of it. I'm not sure, but regardless, well, whenever I can yeah. see the source code for a, you know an iOS app that I use all the time or used to use, then uh, yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, more both both sides really. Uh, I did you know my memories of those articles are more about the client side than the server side. Hmm, okay. So yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff in there. 
Yep, looking forward to it. Speaking of apps shutting down or not shutting down, last week you guys, um, I think, also talked about... No, yeah, you guys also talked about Instapaper being bought by Pinterest. And we did. There was a flurry of tweets saying, oh, no, I got to find a new read it later service now and um also some questions about moving the team and it turns out the team is actually something like three people there was only one engineer (laughs) by the end of it all so people were like oh the whole engineering team is moving but that actually turns out to be one person and um so that engineer brian donahue has been tweeting up a storm at replying to people saying things like um, you know instapaper is going to be separate it's not going to be merged into pinterest and people are like well that's what everybody says and then he says that's true but you know that's the track <laughs> record but his he's going to work hard to make sure that it stays a separate app and stays separate so we'll see how it turns out but at least the thinking behind it is it will stay a separate service pinterest for you know links and photos and whatever pinterest does and instapaper for the reading part of it so um yeah and i, I also hope started so. following him on twitter too <laughs> why not another ios developer exactly mm-hmm. and he'll be in your neighborhood soon i imagine uh, i think he might already be here but he's going to move permanently next week or something like that i forget um he tweets a lot so I, I was reading it all so so speaking of apps shutting down and possibly not shutting down and whether developers will be absorbed into their parent companies or not tim do you have something about google and nest yeah, I just I saw this article yesterday, and uh, f- our friend of the show, uh, Chris Wagner, uh, tweeted about it just a little while ago. So I was having a quick chat with him about it because um, we're both Nest fans, and uh, and I've been using them pretty much since they first came available up here in Canada. Um, yeah, they they were bought by Google or by Alphabet, I guess is the correct way to say it. Um, At the time, uh, it was Google. Yeah. And we were a little worried about that, and and apparently now the uh, the story is that uh, there was some kerfuffle with the uh, CEO guy, I guess, of um, Nest stepping down, and now they're going to be moving these guys into the Internet of Things department at Google. Is what this article talks about. So yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that that the Nest acquisition was bad for Nest, right? Yeah, like they they had a thermostat and a smoke alarm. Mm-hmm. And that's all they have today as well. <laughs> no, they have they have a video like a oh uh, yeah right, IP right camera right yeah right okay so that that's a new thing and and that was fairly recent right because everybody yeah. was so shocked that they actually did develop a new product, but there has been surprisingly little development uh, for a company that has apparently been given the resources that Nest has. So mm. very disappointing acquisition I think, and you know given whatever politics occurred to pull them back into the Google embrace. I don't expect to see much more happen as a result of that. Well, historically, Nest was the was developed by the gentleman who originally did the iPod, if I'm not mistaken, right? Back in the day? I think the interface left, for the iPod, right? Yeah, they left Apple and they went off to form Nest. And uh, Right, so you're talking about Tony Fidel. Uh, for I believe so, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and actually, it's funny. I had a, an experience about six months ago where um, our orig- we have one of those uh, Nest Protect devices up in our bedroom, um, and it started going alarm, 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 smoke, or, you know, leave the house. And we're looking around going, where's the smoke? Where's the fire? Right. Um, so we contacted Nest and they basically, they said, sure, no problem. We want to send us back the unit. We want to take a look at it. And they sent us a brand new unit without no questions asked. It was great service, you know, so it felt really good. Nice. Well, for that much money, I mean, they ought to, right? <laughs> I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose, well, also, I mean, they're, 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 protecting me right from oh yes yes that, <laughs> you know yeah. 
to protect and I serve. mean, I, I say that, you know, having one myself, right? Um, and I've been pretty happy with it. Uh, it's been very, mm -hmm. uh, very good and trouble-free. So yeah. uh, nothing bad to say about it. Cool. Do they have a smoke alarm, too? That's what we're talking about. The, yeah, the no. Protect. Oh, so we're talking like, about the thermostat. Oh, it's nah, called nah. Protect. Protect. Yeah, is the, the Nest oh. is the original product, and it's just a, it's a thermostat. I don't know okay. if it's designated somehow New Hope or something. I'm not sure, but okay. the, um, the uh, <laughs> Protect, Nest is, protect the is the... Oh, yeah, and you, can, okay. and you can put them on different parts of the house, and they, yeah. they hook up to your Wi-Fi wi network, and there's actually a report that goes out to Next, uh, Nest, and they'll tell you... They send you back a report telling you how much energy you saved and Got it. that kind Got of stuff, because we always have ours on little green leaf mode. And Okay. When you said Protect, I thought it was like a security system or something, another product that I hadn't heard of, but... Never mind. No, no. Okay, that concludes we, the FU for this evening. So what do so, you want to talk about here? We've got Apple we've got, getting all wrapped up in tax issues. Yeah. Stop it. Really? Death and taxes, well, man. Death and taxes. But I'll tell you, like, of the links that you've put in here which explain the issue, mm -hmm. the much more interesting thing I thought, and I think probably you know, the one thing that comes out of this that I am interested in, is mm -hmm. the fact that Tim Cook himself wrote about this problem yes yes and actually before before you dive into that i, I was listening to a talk just not, there's no way to link it here but i was listening to a talk by brian hayes uh, who's a, a irish minister on the european committee who said he basically said that apple sorry not that the european commission has no business in corporate law in ireland and uh, from from what he said uh, apple basically has paid taxes on on the business they did in ireland so Anyway, right. So, so the, the TLDR for, for the, excuse me, we didn't start with a recap, and, and it's possible not everybody's heard. Uh, yeah. My understanding was that um, the European Union's uh, one particular commission there has said, hey, guess what? These um, sweetheart uh, tax deals, um, which it's not even entirely clear to me if it was a specific deal for Apple or if there's a specific class of things. In any case, it's very popular for companies to um, to have, you know, Irish headquarters, which are sort of headquarters in name only, right? They're, they're kind of just used as a, a shell structure to funnel uh, taxation through uh, very favorably so, which is why everybody does it. And the EU said, no, 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 that, that's, that's not cool. That, that Since you're a member of the EU, this violates the, the competitive agreements that they have uh, in their international level. And therefore, uh, since it is a violation, here's what we calculate that Apple would owe since it wouldn't have had this particular uh, shelter. And not only that, the, the extra move is that, oh, and by the way, they owe interest on that because it's backdated, right? Uh, I'm not sure how far it goes. And and both sides have been sort of hashing it out uh, legally as well as in the hearts and minds of, of the public, right? Lots of PR stuff like like uh, the aforementioned Tim Cook letter and, uh, of course, uh, various folks coming out on various sides, um, trumpeting their side of what they believe the right thing is. Yeah, I've owned many Irish-built Macs in the back of the day. I think when Apple started uh, creating places for uh, work jobs for people in Ireland, Apple wasn't the great megacorp that it is today. They were, you know, this the five percent of the PC market back then building Macs, and and uh, that's you know, and at the same time, you know, in in Canada we had. Um, uh, New Brunswick was taking on a lot of tech support stuff, and it was before it started, you know, leaving and going to India and China and all that kind of stuff back in the the nineties is when all this this stuff started. So, um, to it's kind of a clawback, if you will, from the from the Euro European Union trying to get back some money. But uh, anyway, I did read Tim Cook's letter after Aaron posted a link to it. So, Aaron, why don't you um, give us the TLDR on Tim's letter? I just like how it was very clearly written 
and uh, in a way that it seems that only Apple can. Uh, you see a lot of corporate communications that are chock full of baffle gaff and mm-hmm. misdirection and double speak. Apple does no such thing. They explain issues very clearly. They explain their position very clearly and explain exactly why they feel the way they feel. And, you know, in terms of the TLDR, like I was kind of hoping not to go too deep into this issue. <laughs> Thanks, mm-hmm. Jaime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, but, man, I gave it the most cursory glance. I know like you I, did. I feel like Holy I'm irresponsible crap. in the level of uh, coverage that I did, even in the TLDR. Yeah. yeah. Um, to, to really boil down Tim Cook's position, it's essentially that uh, they have a deal with Ireland. The European Union is is reneging on Ireland's behalf on that deal, mm-hmm. and they don't have the right to do that. And they're confident that this is going to be repealed. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I really just enjoyed how how clearly written this is, and it's just another in a long chain of of such examples that come from Apple. So, if you read only one thing about this tax issue, I mean, what is this? You know, Phantom Menace. Um, and then read this because it, it's, uh, although it is, you know, just one side of this issue. I mean, there are definite facets to it. It's not as clear cut as it seems. Yeah. I think right up front of the letter, what I liked was it was saying how, you know, we've been in Ireland for this number time. of years and we hired people there. I mean, there's the whole, you know, oh, they, their economy wasn't doing so well and we came in to hire people. I mean, I, I skipped over that part, the touchy feely part, but it was like, we're not just some office you know we don't just have a mailbox there where we receive mail and we're for a tax break but we have hired people there and we've been in ireland for a very long time so it's not just like a a tax shelter that we came up with 30 years ago so i think i don't know how much of that is actually true or just you know what they are saying but uh, i like how that was right up front because you know like you said uh, a lot of people do just set up companies and mailboxes in ireland just to have a headquarters there well, it's true. And like I said, uh, this it was on As It Happens on CBC. And I'll find a link and link it in the show notes. Um, where Brian Hayes was being interviewed, the uh, minister of um, whatever he is in, in Ireland. Um, he was saying that, you know, the, the EU only really has um, jurisdiction over VAT and personal um, income tax and purchases. They don't really have any control or say over corporate Hmm. Um, tax, which is which, which is what the issue here. Is. So it's kind of like the European Union; ha- they, they they have they seem to think they have you know a claim on every iPhone sold in the world. And he clearly pointed out that you know it says right on the on the box that it was you know designed in California and made in China. Therefore, all the uh, EU is entitled to is the sales tax on phones sold in Ireland. Hmm. So I think from a like a non political standpoint, the the most troubling part for me um, in terms of not like picking any particular sides is it seems like this sort of action would make it really, really tough to do business um, in the EU. If you can retroactively have things, you know, come as a bill for you. Right. So like I, I could definitely see the argument for Hey, you know what? This thing isn't cool. We are dissolving this tax break henceforth. And, and you can decide if you want to move your facilities or not. Like that's, that's a bummer and it's unfortunate to be you, but it, it, it sort of seems like it would scare off or potentially scare off companies from, from dealing with that whole mess. Uh, just cause you could have this huge risk of like, Oh, suddenly we owe $14 billion and interest on that just to twist the knife a little bit more. Yeah. Brexit's not looking so bad after all. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a common refrain. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the 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 you have to excuse the clickbaity uh, title of this article um, that I posted here because it, the article is not about the fact that this could trigger Ireland's uh, willingness to leave. It's more; it, it has more facts and figures about the. Uh, about the actual case, but and the reason I, I put it up here is, is also as this was happening, I saw Aaron t- uh, tweet about Tim Cook's letter, and I took a minute to read the letter, and then the rest of the day I spent, you know, people throwing in their 142 characters or 140 characters, whatever it is, opinion based on little things that they had heard, you know, taking things out of context, and I thought maybe just it would be wise to put it in as much as we can in context. So, full disclosure, we're Apple fanboys. Yeah, I own I own some Apple stock. Yeah, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Tim, you want to tell us about the iPhone 7 and whether yeah, or not so, we're going to be able to use... Can I use these headphones that I'm using right now? You know, I don't really know. And, and this, is, this is a bugaboo for me because I've tried many Bluetooth things um, over the years and had, you know... We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think uh, Jaime has a pair of... Um, uh, yeah, New Zealand it's like, ones. It's like a 66 Audio something or other. It's a rather unrecognizable name, but they work okay. really well for me. I love them. Right. I know it's Aaron that has Jaybirds, right? Um, yeah. Which have been around for a long time, and they're great. Apparently, I bought some cheapo ones to try them out, and, you know, yeah, they were okay. Um, and I have the headphones I'm wearing right now are supposedly Bluetooth, but we found we had sync issues in terms of timing, and so I just, I'm using Wired Up right now. But um, I use my iPhone all the time to listen to music, to listen to podcasts as I'm walking down the street, getting on the bus, you know, and I use my headphones. Admittedly, I do hate the wires, to be honest with you. Um, And this is sort of a a piece that came out today about Griffin has just released a Bluetooth adapter that will let you plug your headphones into the adapter to listen to your music or whatever, which kind of hints at possibly what we're going to hear next week about uh, what kind of audio interface the Apple or uh, iPhone 7 is going to have or not have. I tell you, this product is the worst of both worlds. <laughs> it really is, because you still, you're still having wired headphones, which I agree to, yeah. they're terrible. Yeah. Um, and you've also got the fact that you're using Bluetooth, which is, you know, not a perfect technology. Like, it has to be yeah. implemented very well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaybird has done the best job that I know of, of anyone I've used personally. And I've, I've, I've run into a lot of bad Bluetooth, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and the Jaybirds are excellent. They're just excellent, but they're not perfect. They're not even close to perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Bluetooth is always going to have problems, it seems. So you've got that problem, and you've got wired headphones at the same time. Thanks, Griffin. Uh, I'm going to pass. <laughs> what I'm looking for is is for Apple to have a an in-ear earbud, wireless earbud, yeah. that's, like, that's like the movie Her. Or like the Motorola Hint that actually does exist, you know? That yeah. thing that you just stick in your ear, both ears, and you can't really see them too much, and they they last for as long as you need them to on battery. You know, I don't know if that product exists, but Apple needs to make it, and this ain't it. Just, I, just, I saw a product the other the other night on, on the Facebook uh, thing, an ad. It was an ad, and there were something in there, and it was uh, for a, um, a translation app like a universal translator. Then yes. you pop these two little things in your ear and similar to what you like you see on TV like with the yep. guys you know the, the assassins walking around with these little you know uh, in-ear audio devices that apparently you talk to it or it you you hold it up and it it takes the person's voice and translates it into a language that you understand. So I don't know if it's uh, sci-fi or ready for prime time or Well, it actually is a real product. Uh, it's mm-hmm. called the Pilot. Mhm. And it's an Indiegogo campaign that raised $2.8 million U.S. Mm-hmm. this past June. 
Uh, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can refer to that. Okay, cool. Um, very interesting product. This Griffin adapter, I was going to say, reminds me of the uh, iPod Shuffle. Like, it looks about that size. You know, you plugged yeah. in yeah. your headphones and right. it had the play and the fast forward and the back. And this kind of looks like that. And I guess it's got a clip on it, too. So it is like having a little iPhone Shuffle dongle that will connect to the phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Madness. What's even the point? So speaking of dongles and, and things like that, Aaron, do you, did you not buy a, a car that has CarPlay in it? I did, actually. I, I wanted to talk about that a little well, bit. there you go. Oh, well, thanks for bringing it up. I mean, no worries. I'm, <laughs> I I'm curious because you have a, like a steering wheel device or something that you, on the steering wheel, you can, you can uh, control it, right? Yes? Okay, so mm-hmm. I got last week, week before, a new 2016 Volkswagen Jetta. Lovely car. I cannot say enough nice things about it. And very affordable. And um, anywho, it also includes CarPlay. So it's, there's a, a touchscreen display in the center dash. And there's a USB port right below it. You get a lightning cable, you plug your iPhone in, and CarPlay comes up on the display. Hmm. Um, so just to describe a little bit about what CarPlay is, because I don't think a lot of people are clear about it. And I, I, and I say that knowing that I was not that clear about it from the start um carplay is basically like a different view of apps on your phone so certain apps that are present on your phone uh will present a carplay interface if they support it and not all apps do in fact not many of them do so um there's the phone there's messages music um overcast my podcast listening app (laughs) thank goodness uh has one uh major league baseball has one and so those those apps appear on the screen. You've probably seen the CarPlay springboard in pictures of CarPlay in action. And, uh, oh, yes, also there's Siri. So that's the big thing, of course. Um, there's a, a home button-shaped button uh, on the display that you can hold down. Uh, or you can use the speaker button on your steering wheel to activate Siri and ask her anything. Um, oh. You know, anything that you would ask your phone. Because it is for your phone. It's running from your phone. If you turn on Overcast from the center dash CarPlay interface, it will open on your phone as well. So it's it really is one-to-one. The app opens, and instead of showing something on the screen, it prevents, presents a view controller that uh, is for CarPlay. Now, my understanding is that not just any developer can automatically make a CarPlay app. I think you have to sort of join a, a developer program. Yeah, it's like MFI, but it's like MFC. Yeah. yeah, something like that, right. So Marco told that story some time ago when at the point that he was, was developing that that UI for CarPlay. So that's that's in a nut why there aren't a ton of CarPlay apps. Um, there aren't, just aren't many. And of course, I think Apple wants to be very careful because there's a regulatory environment here where you right. have to you know keep safety in mind and make sure that the app is not going to distract you while you're driving. Mm. So The great thing, though, is... Uh, it has all the features that you expect from a, you know, an iPhone on this display. So you can uh, you can push the Siri button and ask for directions to a particular place. The Maps app will open. That's one I forgot to mention earlier. Maps, of course. Um, Maps by default will show your current location, and using iOS 10's sort of intelligent assistant capabilities, will assume that you want to go home and give you directions home by default. That um, you can clear that away, and it'll just show your current position and follow you along uh which is kind of cool uh it plays music that talks on the phone in the jetta the sound system is unbelievable 
Hmm. Like I had a phone conversation while I was driving and like somebody called me, I picked up hands free, you know, from the steering wheel and, uh, had a conversation clear as day. It was like the person was sitting next to me in the, in the passenger seat. It was remarkable. And they were able to hear me just fine too. Like, so I don't know where the microphones are, uh, and the wheel and the visor or something. I don't, I have no idea. I can't see them. Uh, it was absolutely remarkable. So, uh, big thumbs up to CarPlay. I mean, it's not perfect, but uh, it works very, very well. Uh, I would love to see more apps support CarPlay. I think that's like the big thing. Yeah, I've used I, I use my phone like if I'm driving to the cottage or something. I'll put like on the, the I'll stick it in a, in a put the maps up and I'll have it in some sort of holder so I can see what's going on on the road ahead of me and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, it, like you know how you can get stereos for your for your uh, car, like a third-party sure. stereos, and pop them out in the dash. Are, are there CarPlay devices like that? Yeah, there are. Pioneer makes them. Uh, oh, really? They're very expensive, though. They're mm. they're like $600. So, like, I mean, just to walk in the door, and they, they go up from there. Well, they're just very expensive, and, and I don't recommend anyone buy a third-party head unit for their car because you become a huge thief magnet at that point right right you know? so but uh, in your case was carplay like a standard option with the, yeah with the jetta or really yeah yeah any 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 of their jettas comes with it automatically yeah and they support android auto as well but i mean who cares about that right <laughs> <laughs> is that um, really what it's called android auto of course yeah <laughs> Yeah, the logo comes well, up. You like you um, when you don't plug it in right away. Uh, it'll say "looking for you know CarPlay device" or, or "looking for device," and it shows the logos of the services it supports: uh, CarPlay and Android Auto, and BlackBerry Bicycle, yeah, or something. I don't know. <laughs> there was a third one. I just don't remember what it was. Nothing I'd heard of. So, um, well, actually, another great thing is um, messages. So you get a text or an SMS comes in or an iMessage, really, and uh, it notifies you. Like a little notification drops down over the the UI, mm-hmm. and it says the name, and you can just tap it, and Siri will read the message to you, mm. and then say, "Would you like to reply?" You say yes, and then it says, "Go ahead," and then you say your message, and then Siri reads it back to you. And then you say, she says, do you want to send it? And then you say, yes, and it's gone. Mm. And you've done all this hands-free while you're driving. Uh, mm. It's it's pretty cool. Futuristic, just like, man. Just like Batman. It is kind of like, it's it's like something from a sci-fi movie. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So um, you might remember when the watch came out and I talked about how wonderful right. a car computer the watch is. Um, CarPlay is a much better car computer than the watch. Mm. Mm. So, um yeah, go take one for a test drive. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, CarPlay is becoming more common. So as people buy new cars, I think many, many, many new cars are mm-hmm. coming with this stuff inside of it. Mm-hmm. So I think awareness of CarPlay is going to increase over time. And those apps that are present on CarPlay are going to have some advantage, at least, I think. Yep. But, you know, of course, there's a limited set of what kind of app you can have, right? Um, so I, I went looking for apps that support CarPlay and they're all music playing apps, right? So like, what's that? Spotify and, you know, Pandora, you know, those, those make sense for, for obvious reasons, right? They're for listening to, not watching. Uh, you're not going to find YouTube, (laughs) right? Um, or Twitter for that matter. But I thought, you know, like if messages on there, why not Slack? You know, I'd love to have the Slack app. Think about it. So Aaron, the secret project that you're working, your personal project that you're working on, is it appropriate Mm. for the car as well? No. Or could it be? No. Interesting. That narrows no. it down. No, it doesn't. 
Yeah. I'm actually, I'm, I'm working on two projects now, uh, cause I'm, I'm a terrible person. Um, <laughs> I can talk about one of them right now because I, I think I'm planning to open source it. Oh, wow. Mm. Point. Yeah. Um, so giving, giving back to the community. Way yeah, to go, Aaron. I want to do a little bit of that. Why not? What the heck? We've been talking, uh, last week, was it last week or the week before that we talked about YouTube DL? Last week. That was last week. week. It was last week because it was Jaime's pick, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, um, that I was kind of inspired after talking about that again, um, and knowing the experience that I've had with that app, I thought that it would be really handy, um, because, uh, (laughs) uh, full disclosure, I get asked a lot for, uh, the actual video files on various websites, Mm. um, by my wife, for example, who mm. who gets access to all kinds of writing videos, you know, authors speaking about their techniques, and they publish videos on their websites, and they, that's not very convenient for her to watch, so she'd like to have them off on her own hard drive so she can watch at her leisure. So she says, you know, could you go to this website and give me that video file? And then I go, you know, sure, I go to the terminal, I dig up YouTube DL, I do the download, I s- send it to her desktop, and, well, that's boring. So I thought let's make a, a GUI app that uses YouTube DL and, uh, and does the, just basically the, the one thing that it's really great for, which is just download the damn video. I'll give you a URL and you give me the video. And, uh, so I've, I've got it working now. Uh, I, I've got an Mac app that has the Python binary, the YouTube DL binary written in Python embedded into it and, uh, operates from the GUI passes back the the final actual file that uh, is stored on the server and then downloads it to your desktop right now. So uh, it is functional. And so I'm now just sort of cleaning it up and trying to make it look nice and pretty so that uh, anybody could use it. And then I think I'll post it to a GitHub repo somewhere and let other people have a crack at it. Yeah, that's good. It's good to be giving back to the uh, community. I'm sure our fans and listeners will love that too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like when, when you're thinking, oh, how do I get this thing installed? Well, you got to get homebrew. I mean, that's the best best way. Get homebrew. Okay, so how do you get homebrew? And then so you go to homebrew and you st- install that. You know, nerds who listen to the show, no problem, right? But I think there are a lot of people that uh, that would enjoy having this as a, as a little utility. So um, it's it was fun to put together. And, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to learn about that I was able to do so in this project. So um, it's a win. Yeah. Coolio. And uh, Greg, was that you or Jaime that pasted the CarPlay dev link that needs MFI certification? Yes, that was me. Great. There was a nice developer page. And apparently there were some talks at, I think it was this year, because it says iOS 10 something or other on that page. Um, But yeah. Yes. yes. uh, There were some WWDC videos, apparently a two-parter on CarPlay, I think this year. So Yeah, it is from this year. And I, I have no memory of those... I, I wasn't interested, I guess. And so I thought, yeah. not, not for me. You know, it was like 100 sessions anyway, so. Yeah, yeah exactly. MFI, can you re- recap us what MFI is, Greg? That's the made-for-iPod oh, originally, but the made-for-iPhone. Right. You get the little official sticker. It always rem- reminds me of, like, you know, the Nintendo seal of quality. But uh, mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. people say it's just a money grab from Apple, but um, <laughs> other people say, no, Apple will test this and make sure it works with the iPhone or the device correctly. So they pay yeah. Apple the accessories people pay up a little bit of money i think per unit and then um they get to put the sticker on you know i i was i used to be a skeptic of that mfi program but uh, i'm i'm much more of a believer than i used to be to be honest with you um one of the things that has really turned me over uh for uh mfi is the fact that there are some really lousy lightning accessories out there that that burn out and are literal fire hazards that uh, you should definitely not use 
and which of course do not receive the MFI certification. Mm. If you if you buy a product with the MFI certification, then you can be assured that it's going to be a quality product and will not burn your house down. And that's that's more real than you think. Uh, there there were stories actually a few years ago about uh, people I think in China for the most part who were killed by their phone chargers. Really? Mm. Wow! Do you remember that? Never heard about that. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, not quite they, MFI though. That's just like they had one of those bricks, wall bricks, with a USB on the end, and it was just very, very poorly made, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. there was a comparison. I know we're we're going way off in the weeds here, but there was a comparison between one of these knockoff uh, power bricks and the Apple one, um, and a study of the electronics that go inside each one of them and uh they they may look similar on the outside they are vastly different inside yeah i think they hooked up to a scope and it was like whoa this knockoff one was delivering like wildly variant power like yeah. it could actually yeah, it damage crazy. it could actually damage your phone or whatever you plug into the charger so i mean most people don't think about you know this is charger oh is it giving me a perfect sine wave of an ac signal but you know uh, right yeah i remember that page and i think they tested like a lot like 20 chargers 20 different chargers and then they kind of said which was the best and that kind of thing but yeah i remember yeah. that yeah and the other thing too is that like you know the quality even if it doesn't burn down your house they're going to fall apart very quickly and you know the, the manufacturers that go to the, the pain of getting the mfi certification um they charge more for the product obviously to compensate for that um but they are better quality products so the more you know kids and, and then, of course, you never see those those terrible warnings uh, when you plug in something. It says this this device is not supported, um, and it won't even charge your phone. Seen those? Yes, many times. Okay, so my wife my wife always buys these bargain basement lightning cables. That's that's what I'm talking about. I know they're like they're wafer thin and they wafer they, thin. They, yeah. la they last like four four charges, and you can never sync anything with them. But she doesn't understand why it costs five dollars. Yeah, I, actually, you know, the great thing is. Um, I'm going to the wire cutter. The best lightning cable is made by Anchor, according to the wire cutter. Um, I'm going to put the link for them because uh, when that pick came out, I bought three of them. Mm -hmm. And they were very inexpensive. The Anchor Powerline lightning cable. And they come in a variety of colors. And they're something like $12. So cheaper than apples by some margin. Mm. And they are excellent. They're like really great. Good quality. Uh, good uh, join. What do you call that? Between the cable and the and the, the plug itself. Very sturdy. And mm -hmm. it comes with a little tie, a little Velcro tie. So uh, you can keep it clean without it flopping all over the place. So um, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well. Man, we're all over the place, eh? Are we yeah, all over I the place I just bought this what? cable too, and I want to see if there's an MFI on it. And I don't think there is, unfortunately. But this thing, the lightning end, is like... It's a combo lightning micro USB what so oh, um interesting. yeah so it's got the lightning connections like the um you know the contacts only on one side and then the port is actually hollow so you can plug this thing into a lightning port and into a micro usb so yeah yeah but uh no it is not mfi certified but i it was like two for five dollars or no not that but it was pretty cheap but wait, what's really cool is my nephew has one that lights up. So the whole way down, it's got LEDs, <laughs> yes, and you can yes. see the end. So when you're driving in the car and it's dark, you can find the cable. Yeah. I Does it only light anchor. up when both ends are attached? No, just, just the one end. Oh, see, that's not as, as nice yeah. as what I would like, because I sometimes want to know if my phone is charging or not. Well, it maybe it changes color. I don't know. But like, I just was in their car the other day, and I, thought, I just made note of it. The Since anchor, we're all over the place anyway, right? You know. Yeah. 
the anchor is mfi certified of course i mean it's anchor right <laughs> yeah highly recommended mm-hmm. we'll get it okay let's let's pull this back on i think we're done here eh? let's go do picks let's we do picks? picks yeah sure so okay. aaron have a pick you have a pick you just fair warning we did this do this pick in episode 85 but it's a oh, great did... pick it's a great pick so please do it again oh shit. i believe there's an upgrade since then as well so I yeah think well that's pick. actually that's and what makes it new yeah okay version. okay yeah sorry let's just Perfect. go back up so the pick is Charles Proxy, which apparently we did in 85, according to Tim. Whose mm-hmm. pick was it, Tim? Do you know? I, don't, I couldn't figure that out. No. Not right. from the notes. Anywho, version four just came out in the last couple of weeks. Mm. And the notable uh, improvement in version four is that it is now a native Mac application. Wow. Wow. What? I know. That was one of the, like, anybody who talked about Charles Proxy, uh, the, the one thing they would say about it is... It's the only app that's worth getting of its kind. It's the only good app that can do the job of Charles Proxy. Right. Is Charles Proxy. Right. Too bad it's a Java app. Right. And now it's actually a native Mac app. Cool. Um, it's native in the sense that the user interface is clearly Cocoa, but the guts of it, um, I believe, are still running in Java. 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 So... <laughs> that's that's the thing you got to watch out for. But I believe, and I'm not 100% clear on this because I think I have other reasons that I have Java installed. Mm-hmm. The, um, the Java plan. binary, I believe, yeah, exactly, that's it, is is bundled into into Charles. So I don't think you have to, like, get Charles and then run out like some kind of filthy animal mm-hmm. and get the JDK the, and install The lion it. updater, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, nobody wants to do that. Nobody. So... Um, what makes Charles Proxy great? I will just give you a very, very quick backgrounder because apparently we've covered this before. <laughs> not not so, in as much detail because I've been using the heck out of it for the last couple of months, but go ahead. Yeah, well, actually, so have I. Well, the last two weeks I have been for my job, and that's why it's kind of come up here. And that's how I discovered version 4 was out. So mm. Charles Proxy's job is to act as a proxy. <laughs> and uh, what that means is when you have a network request that goes out either from your Mac or from, say, an iPhone that you're developing on, uh, you can set on your iPhone for your Mac to become a proxy, which would then channel all your network requests through Charles Proxy. And its main UI is basically a table view that shows every network request that comes and goes on your computer. So you can then filter that list. Say I'm looking for requests coming from one particular app. So I know it's hitting a particular endpoint. And so I can type in part of that domain name for that endpoint. And then only those requests uh, appear in the list, right? Furthermore, you can... Uh, set up Charles as a an SSL proxy mm-hmm. so that when your API is, of course, running HTTPS, which under normal circumstances would just make your request data look like gibberish because it's encrypted, um, you can set it up to actually become a proxy for the SSL transmissions and therefore allow you to see the data. So it's as if there's no SSL at all. So it allows you to actually see the requests and all the the back and forth that's happening. This is the premier tool mm-hmm. for troubleshooting and and uh, developing for uh, remote application, um, remote API endpoints. So um, I, I was working last week on an existing app, which uh, has some fairly poorly documented um, <laughs> server APIs. Let's put it that way. Um, and the app itself was huge. And so it was very difficult, actually, to find out uh, what was going on under the hood. So you do a certain request and boom, a whole bunch of different 
uh, network requests go out. And the only way to really find that out was to put Charles Proxy in between us. Mm-hmm. So incredibly powerful tool. Um, the one the one thing that made me remember it in particular tonight is when we were talking about security right? Uh, at the beginning of the show. And so one of the big points I want to make about that is uh, not too long ago, I think, um, about a year ago, uh, I, it got into my head that the, the <laughs> okay, a little more backup, <laughs> the Go Transit app, okay? So Go Transit is um, Ontario's uh, mass transit system. Uh, that runs between cities in Ontario, okay? Um, and it's if you live in a place like Whitby, like I do, poor bastard that I am, and you want to get to Toronto, you're going to take a GO train. And so there's a schedule. And the schedule has been long since, uh, for many years, been published through this app that was developed by a university in Toronto and done very poorly. It's a terrible, terrible app. And so I, I decided one day that I would have a look at the network traffic that that app generated to see if I could figure out its API. And using Charles Proxy, uh, I discovered that the app didn't even use SSL, that it was totally un, uh, like no authorization, no authentication wow. required, wide open API. And uh, I used Charles Proxy for about half an hour and I had like pretty much the whole API figured out. Wow. Um, that's security. <laughs> so for, for about, yeah, yeah, exactly. For half an hour there, I was a security researcher and it was a blast. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um, I had, I had a command line version of the go transit app up and running <laughs> on my Mac, um, within, within hours basically. And it was, uh, just something that I did for fun. So Charles proxy is actually a great way that you can, uh, sort of peer under the hood of any app running on your phone or on your Mac. So, uh, it's not the easiest thing to learn, mm-hmm. <laughs> not not by a long shot, because it does so much. But if you do figure it out and you do take the time to understand how it works, uh, you've got a very powerful tool at your disposal. So um, the link is in the show notes to charlesproxy.com and uh, pick for episode 85, pick for 107. Yeah, the, the great thing about I like about Charles is, you know, when you're looking at API requests, and you're dealing with back-end guys, you can actually send them the entire request and the response. Exactly. So they can go in and do, troubleshoot their stuff. And as well, if you're... And you can also look at the headers and the cookies inside the inside the request as well, which is kind of a... You know, it kind of it, it peels back all the layers on, on any kind of network request you're making and responses you're getting back. So you can sort of troubleshoot, you know, how things are working between you, your app, and your back-end. Yep. Turns you into a networking superhero. <laughs> Yeah. So that's my pick. So who do we go for to first? Let's see. Can I go next? I have a related pick, kind of. Battle of the picks. Okay, Greg, go next. All right. I have two picks. I'll keep them quick, though, to stay in the spirit of the episode and the spirit of picks. The first one is kind of following from a discussion last week about, um, was it KZ File Watchers? KZ File Watchers? Some might want to call yes, it. Yes, KZ. About it is KZ. Sort, make sure and there was a general it. discussion of like modifying apps or peeking into apps as they're running, that kind of thing. And I had tweeted to the podcast, and I think to Jaime, about this thing called Flex. So that's the Flipboard Explorer. It's an open source project from Flipboard. And this is a thing that you build into your own app. So not for the release. If you are using this, please don't build it into the App Store release. But uh, for debugging, you can put this thing in, and it does all kinds of cool stuff. You can inspect views and move them around and look at properties. It can look at memory and look at all your allocations. And it has like a 
SQL browser and all kinds of really, really cool stuff that you can have right inside your app to inspect it. And also you can like modify views and frames and placements and things like that. So it's really, really cool. You have to compile it into your app though. However, speaking of what Aaron just said about using Charles Proxy to understand how apps work, if you are of a certain mindset and ability, you can inject the um, flex sort of... uh, dynamic library, however you do it, into running binaries on um, on your phone. So you can inject this into something like Springboard and see how the home screen of your iPhone works. So if you look at the GitHub mm. readme, you'll see an example of this if you scroll down towards the bottom. And of course, how to do this is left as an exercise to the reader. But if you're curious about how Apple has built some of their apps, this is also a great kind of inspection tool if uh, you're into that kind of thing. So Flex, use it in your own apps. It's really, really cool. Awesome. And yeah. And my second pick is a video pick. So just today or yesterday or something like that, the Computer History Museum, they're down in uh, Mountain View, California. It's an actual museum you can go to that you should definitely check out. But they have a YouTube channel where they have a whole bunch of sort of classic videos. So they have things like the uh, Coleco, is it Coleco? I forget. Whoever made the the, uh, Atom computer, uh, the release of that. There's a lecture about the design of C++ from its creator, things about the PowerPC launch and all kinds of sort of really old videos from like, I don't know, the 70s, the 80s or something like that. And they just released a bunch, I think a hundred video lectures from the 90s is what the announcement says. So if you're into um, old computing, you want to see how, wow, a 300 megahertz computer was just announced, you know, and how excited people get or about Pentium design or, you know, if you're kind of an old school um, computing enthusiast, then uh, that would be my second pick, the Computer History Museum's YouTube page. Cool. And, and that was the last we heard of Tim, because that's where he is now. <laughs> yeah, one, one of the videos is talking about the new i960, which I looked on Wikipedia and says that was produced from 1984 to 2007. <laughs> so it was brand spanking new in the 80s. You can just see from these video thumbnails, like you'll look at it and you'll be like, oh yeah, this was like recorded on like VHS or something and somebody digitized it later on. So, you know, the quality is probably not that great, but, uh, you know, it's nice, it's a nice blast from the past if you're into that. All right. That's it. That's all you got? Just two picks? Come um, on. Um, you know. More than one is too many. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I called it a code I'm... pick and a video pick, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, hi, for everybody. How are we breaking these down? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it... So it's keeping in the spirit of pick competition between me and uh, Mr. Hio. Um, I have a video pick as well. Uh, it's from the fine folks at Vox talking about how Snapchat's filters work. So uh, if you've never seen these, they, you've probably seen at least um, still image pics somewhere on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. However it is that you communicate with your family and friends, they probably sent you one of these. But they do these things live as well, right? So you... If you remember way back in the day, um, oh my gosh, what was it? It was like iOS 4 or 5, whenever that WWDC session was, Apple had the like mustache cam and a couple other cameras that would put funny faces you know, on, on your selfie sort of photos. And then later they did it live with video with the uh, AV mm. Foundation, I think. Right. This is kind of like that, but like at a much, much uh, greater level where, as this video explains, they, they looked at the... Um, I think it was the patents, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, that Snapchat has here through um, a company that it acquired. And it's actually pretty interesting the way that they do it, right? So they talk about the basic pieces of computer vision, about you know looking for edge edges and associating those to being particular regions and what that means, particularly for looking for a face. 
and then taking these um, these trained uh, machine learning models and applying them to your own face and says, oh, okay, well, you know, most people's eyebrows are here. Yours happen to be in a slightly different spot. Let's adjust the mesh for that and have a three D a three D um, mesh of where your facial features are at different time points in time. So that way they can do things like uh, they show like a, like a dog face, like a cartoon dog face. Um, the lady in the video, she talks, uh, has a, like a, like a Rosie, the riveter kind of one, but like if they were going out on a date where, you know, they have like lipstick that's showing up on her lips and an eyeliner and everything. It shows up like kind of scarily well. And in any case, it, it's pretty interesting to watch just sort of like get an idea of how that feature works. And then sort of the, some of the technology that goes into it, uh, it it's definitely a hot thing. Um, hmm. It came to my mind today because uh, folks were talking about the the supposed rumors of Apple doing Snapchat-ish kind of things uh, in upcoming uh, versions of iOS or perhaps apps. Um, but this is neither here nor there. That's uh, something separate from from this, which is much more of a, a brief technology discussion. Yeah. Alrighty. So my second pick. <laughs> <laughs> Roll into this one. So uh, this is a, a little bit of a callback. It, it's 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 ancient fu uh, all the way back to episode two of this very podcast where mm-hmm. we talked about uh, push for pizza, which at the time was a app right, that you yeah. could just push a button right. and you would get pizza. Well, you know, sometimes you want more choice than just the the one pizza that you always order, right? The large pepperoni. The fine folks at Papa John's, and I don't know if they have this in Canada, but it's, it's certainly a rather large chain. I think it's like number three or four in the United States. They have made an app for the Apple TV, and they're promoting it uh, quite mm. heavily. So it's got all sorts of features that they show here on this uh, webpage that we can uh, keep in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Um, you know, basic things you would expect, like favorites and past orders, uh, Notably, you get an exclusive discount, so all Apple TV users will receive an exclusive platform discount of 25% off their wow. entire order and earn Papo rewards points for all future orders, is what they claim on the on the site here. I don't really know how easy checkout works. I don't have an Apple TV myself, so I don't uh, mm. I don't Dude, have the capability of using what? this. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's like super good reasons for that. So uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I can't uh, tell you how the experience is for this, but it looks quite super nice. Super good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Super good reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can enumerate through them really quickly. The Apple TV One, has, has Apple neither TV. Amazon Video nor does it have, uh, you know, updated Crunchyroll. So it, it's kind of a non-factor in my life. It has Netflix, but that's, you know, Netflix is on everything. Even like the junkiest TV that you can find out there for 300 bucks at Walmart will give you, you know, yeah, some but, sort yeah, of Yeah, but the experience access. of Netflix on Apple TV is exclusive. It, it's unlike any other Netflix you've ever experienced. It's the worst Netflix I've ever used. We exclusively. Didn't let the cat out of the bag. Exclusively Sorry, the worst. It <laughs> it's terrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. I mean, there are weird bugs in there, man. Like they don't give a shit about the Apple TV app. This looks tasty though. Like now I want pizza. Yeah. Now note note here that Papa John's, if they if you want the app, they can't link you to it. Same old problem, right? So at the very top right, you know, their call to action, if you will, it's search for Papa John's. Is what it says. You can't actually do anything here. I've got oh, to I got to right. close my computer, go downstairs, turn on my Apple TV, go to the App Store, and then search for Papa John's. Um, for the record, there are Papa John's in Canada. They are mm-hmm. very rare, though. Mm-hmm. I, the only one I know about uh, there's one in Ottawa, and there is one in 
Brockville. I want to say Brockville. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. I don't even think there's one in Toronto. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen one of those. I know I've heard of the, the name before, but... Yeah, very rare. But that is weird about the search the searchability or the inability to find things on the app store still being an issue, right? Yeah, well, it's just, it's not able to link to things. I mean, that's crazy. You should be able to link to things. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is a bit odd. Like, I, I can download an app for the iPhone from my Mac. Yeah. You know, I can do that. I can buy an iPhone app on my Mac, and it'll appear on my iPhone. Why mm-hmm. can't the same thing happen for the Apple TV? Why? I don't know. Maybe that's why the, the Netflix app is so horrible, because maybe they no. rely on a lot of back-end stuff. No, it's horrible because they designed it badly, and they should feel bad. All right, hang their heads and feel shame. They really ought to. All right. Okay, so, have you, yeah, you haven't ordered it. How is Papa John's pizza, though? I mean, have you had that? Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty good. It's I mean, it's roughly comparable to what you get at uh, whatever your opinion is of Domino's and Pizza Hut and uh, others. You know, it's yeah. it's not, like, artisanal, Clearly. lovingly handcrafted, uh, mass organically. But, I mean, yeah, it's a... Like, I, I have every faith there. So I'm looking here, what the locations. So it looks like there's some, that looks like it's in Toronto, roughly. Um, I really don't know. I'm looking at a, a giant Google map here that I searched for. I have every faith that the Papa John's I walk into in downtown Seattle and in downtown Toronto would taste exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the whole idea. So I have, a, I have a sort of segue question here, Jaime, for you. Um, I was watching one of my favorite shows on AMC Network the other day, which, of course, shows American commercials, which you don't often see on Canadian television here. But um, Burger King has a Whopperito. Oh, yeah, that's a new that's a new product. And uh, uh, it, it, is it an imported product? Maybe it's an imported product. Because uh, they're, totally they're owned by, by Timmy Hortons, right? So are they? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's uh, that's true blue. Oh, wait, true red and white Canadian. Wow. Wow. wonder how they're paying tax on that. That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe the CEO is going to write an open letter to explain. Yeah. Oh, there are four <laughs> Toronto locations of Papa John's. Breaking news. Back, back taxes on the Whopperitos. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, oh my God. Like, have you seen this thing? Oh, yeah. yuck. Yeah. But I bet you the uh, the intellectual IP for the Whopperito is probably held in an Irish headquarters. So I don't know if that'll be repatriated or not. <laughs> or in Delaware. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I do have a pick. Uh, actually, whoa, I have whoa, a... whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What's whoa? Oh, we whoa. haven't... What? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That That's all my fault. I'm sorry. I thought I saw two links under pick two, um, assuming that that was two picks, and it is just one pick. Sorry. Thank God. Thank only one pick. Single God, pick with an handle. easy link back to episode two, so you can listen Indeed. to us talk about Push for Pizza. Okay. Well, so I, I'm being a little sneaky here, because my pick actually is the Swift Algorithm Club, which is kind of sort of follow-up, because I mentioned them before on yes, the, yeah. uh, the show. Um, and but but in context though, uh, Matthias Holman started the Swift Algorithm Club on GitHub, and he's opened it up and let people contribute to it. And some and a whole bunch of guys from the Ray Wellenbeck team uh, jumped in there, and we now have a Swift Algorithm Club on Ray Wellenbeck's site. And there's a couple of posts up there now. So this is actually two posts in one. So this is kind of in keeping with Greg and Jaime's sort of choice there. I wanted to do the Swift Algorithm Club uh, tutorial on Swift binary search trees. And but I found that I didn't know enough about binary trees at all, so I went back to one one episode before this one or one tutorial before this one, which is linked at the top of the page, which explains that. So I went through and had some fun doing so learning about the binary trees and in Swift and using extensions and all that kind of stuff, and it was really cool. And then I went back and did the uh, Swift binary search tree 
uh, exercise. It was very good, very insightful, and something I wanted to learn about all, all along. And it wasn't as scary as you might think the title would lead you to believe. So I recommend the Swift Algorithm Club for the folks out there driving in their cars at home. All right. Yeah, there's some interesting uh, ones. I mean, there's some basic ones that I, I kind of expect to be in here, right? If you um, take any uh, computer science courses, you know, binary search trees and bloom filters and the like. And then there's some weirdo ones that are new to me, like um, shunting yard, mm-hmm. um, treep, which unfortunately there's no readme for that. So I'm going to assume that's a tree and a heap combo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> And some other ones. Uh, Monty Hall problem. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That brings back memories. Yes. Always choose door number three. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's uh, that's about it for the week. So, hey, Aaron, if people want to get yeah, hold of you on the interwebs, where would, they, where would they look you up? Oh, my good Lord. Where couldn't you look me up? But let's try Twitter, I guess, at Aaron Bay. All righty. And Jaime? Also on Twitter as at Dev with a Hair. And Greg? You can send me an email, greg at com. My name is uh, Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. So until next week, we'll say goodbye. 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 Bye. And you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. kids well i'm gonna check out and uh hope that you all have a fine evening so actually before you go aaron yeah um, so i don't know if you saw on twitter but but um some you know one of our fans one of the fans of the show um had a problem with the way i say wacom it's about, oh. apparently wacom it is okay. wacom yeah wacom wacom yeah, i've right. heard wacom and i've heard wacom and i've heard wacom yeah well i mean you know and and i used my you know knowledge of the english language that you know a vowel <laughs> followed by a consonant followed by another vowel is generally long and, generally that's yeah. the rule of english yeah so but uh, you know when it's proper names who knows right so yeah um and you know the company i think the person that comes up with the name probably has pronunciation rights on it that's true um, that's so true. what was what was his but i didn't get a personal source. phone call from that person to say no that, that's why i'm asking like what was his source a, a video that somebody posted on youtube about the correct pronunciation of wacom and i don't think the person was even associated with wacom well my goodness no way well i'm gonna I have to go find some like keynote videos from the company itself <laughs> to see how like the ceo pronounces it yeah i could have sworn it was on their site because oh, i really? read somewhere that yeah there is some official 
source that says yes it's wacom but i think the companies like you know they're like we don't really care just buy our products but <laughs> yeah we say wacom so there it is um, do you but yeah i mean they're saying we that's how we say it at the company oh okay okay but yeah. how do you say it I, or how, have you been saying it i say wacom because i heard that but yeah uh-huh. if i didn't know any if i hadn't heard that i would say wacom as well Mm-hmm. because of the rules of the English language. But, of course, the first rule of the English language is that all rules, you know, have exceptions. So, Tim, you can't just pull out that manual every single time. No, you No, no, that. that's true, but that's true. But but um, uh, I've been selling Wacom tablets for years, and I've been sold Wacom tablets for years, and the salespeople here in Ontario have always referred to them as Wacom. So what can I well, say? Well, what are you going to do? I think they're happier with you selling and buying than yeah. they are about how you pronounce their name. That's true. All right, guys, I'm going to check out. All right. Bye. Later. All right. See you. Ciao. All right. Now we can sure. record the real show. <laughs> <laughs> Live, raw, unedited. Let me switch to a different audio mode. <laughs> what does that mean? Can I make a feature request? Greg? To whom? Greg. Oh, I don't know who you're talking to either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I added an Instagram account for more than just code podcast today, but um i can't like there's no convenient way to switch in and out of uh ids on instagram there certainly is is there yes there is oh okay you go to the profile tab that's the bottom right most tab this is on the actual phone right uh yes of course okay all right but you can't you can't upload anything on the desktop like through the browser or whatever right there is an api that people use um i think like celebrities use it because you know they get other people to post for them so there is an api but i'm not Familiarly with how it works. Anyway, if you're in the app, there is a the little guy icon. Yeah, and then you hit the settings at the top right. A little gear, yeah, okay. And at the very bottom, not log out, but there's add account, so you can add a second account. Nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then when you're, it didn't take long to get that feature implemented. (laughs) (laughs) That is scarily close to log out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't do it very often. And then when you're on your profile tab again, Tim, at the top where it Mm -hmm. says your name, there'll be a little chevron down arrow and that lets you pick between the two okay all right. I'll do that. of course i picked a really hard to remember password on one password of course which I'll go i think on on facebook people have to have their you know there's like a real name policy you're only supposed <laughs> to have one facebook but instagram has always been you can have lots of accounts so oh, really oh that. i yeah. didn't know that okay so they had this switcher in there yeah i just i was just i've just never i never thought about doing i thought about doing it today because i added some some bugs onto the website for the facebook and the twitter account and I figured I might as well, because I just, yesterday I noticed on Facebook, we have like seven likes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you have more than that. I think you need like 25 likes to get analytics or something. Is that how it works? Uh, on Facebook? Yeah. I think uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But but like we've had the account for almost a year now, I think. And and I just never bothered promoting it, right? So The, um, it's just MTJC M- podcast? Yeah, oh, no, no underscore. No, no underscore. Oh, you're going yeah. against the Twitter. That's not good. Well, yeah, I know. You got to match them up because when people at mention, you know, um, sometimes people tweet their Instagram posts. I don't know how many mentions you're going to get, but that's something to think about. I'll fo- oh, I'll be the first follower. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm not even following it. That's how exciting it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I have like five test accounts. So the switcher is very helpful for me. So I use it all the time. Okay, so I'm not looking for Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah. So we have a follower on our Instagram account, which is great. One. When are you going to post a photo? I don't know. I, I have to fix the icon because for some reason, when I went to the went to set up the profile, I was doing the profile on my Mac, and it wouldn't let me choose. Uh, I don't know, maybe a PNG. Maybe it was too big for the profile photo or something. You can sign up on the on the web. 
Yeah, that's how I did it oh, today. I didn't actually know that. I think that I think that's actually pretty new. Yeah, yeah, you know, now you mention it because I only only ever like if I'm on my desktop and I see a link from um, like Twitter or something like that to the Instagram account, it, it opens my oh, it's on my iPad. It actually opens. That's right. Um, but it opens. It always opens in landscape mode and then switches to. Sorry, yeah, it opens in landscape mode and then switches to portrait mode, which I find very disappointing. You let the iPad team know that. Um, yeah, <laughs> iPad team. Um, I'll let them know. Yeah. Dude, you know it's like I'm you don't saying. know how yeah. big their, their team is. Like, I, I, I jokingly tweeted that, oh, look, you know, look at the stories feature and the pinch to zoom. Like, all yeah. of this stuff has come on since Greg went on board. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, good yeah. job, Greg. Job. Thank you. Thank Good you. Yeah. Well, thanks for fixing the multi-user feature for me too. No problem. My pleasure. Live on the show. My pleasure. All right. Uh, somewhere I have an old Dilbert cartoon I used to put in front of all my presentations. It was like, it was like you know he gets up there and says, "I'm going to use all the big ten dollar words and I'm going to baffle gab you and I'm going to show you some really pointless charts and here's a you know useless picture or whatever." At the end of it, the guy I forget the name of the guy who never does any work sticks his hands up and goes, "Can I have a copy of the slides, please?" <laughs> Yeah, that would be uh, Wally. Wally, probably. yeah, yeah, Wally. Yeah. So on this uh, find a photo, there's a tag for bokeh, which <laughs> is the new hotness <laughs> word that everybody knows now oh, really? because of B-O-K- Apple's invitation. K- yeah. How do you spell it? B o k e h k e h is how I always spelled it. On our Ray yeah. Wendelick Slack, there was an argument. Somebody wrote. That um, yeah, was uh, Fuad. Yeah. He wrote it like mocha, boca. Mocha, yeah. Yeah, like mocha the drink, but with a B. And I was like, what is he talking about? And I was like, oh, bo- okay, so. Yeah. So I've taken pictures like this. So what's the idea? It's just everything's I've like a field of what do you call it? Field of aperture? What do you call it? Field of view? Or yeah, you do like a really open aperture, and you get those kind of blurred lights. Yeah. Uh, circles. Yeah. 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 That's a There's thing. There's a name for that. That's the name for it. Bokeh. <laughs> really? I think it's Japanese yeah. for like unfocused or something like that. But that's oh. the term. That's the term that they use to describe that kind of that kind of thing. Right, right. So everybody's speculating on the fact that it's going to be like the two camera, two dual ca- dual lens camera. That's what I had said. Fuad said yeah. like, oh, they're going to do a, you know, really wide, uh, it's hard to say wide, wide aperture camera. But I'm like, I heard it was the dual dual lens and it's going to combine them kind of like how the Lytro, however you say that word, camera was. Maybe it's going to do 3D. It could also do 3D, but I don't think they're spaced far enough to do 3D. I think they're pretty close. I think they're like right next to each other. I've actually done 3D photography, digital photography before, and you, and you put the lenses about five and a half inches apart or whatever the dis- distance between your eyes are, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I did mm-hmm. some stuff back in the day, and pretty cool. Never really, never really went far with it. So maybe uh, just to interject here, like you guys said one thing and the other, like maybe it's both, like, if yeah. you have two cameras, it doesn't mean, or two camera lenses, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be the same. Maybe they will have a one that's like super wide and one that's sort of more uh, normal mm-hmm. or maybe even telephoto just to have um, more, a wider variety of options for, you know, not having a, a set of lenses that you can interchange like you would with a SLR. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more looking forward to the uh, Mac refresh than I am the iPhone this year. I think the rumors about the strip above the, you know, the function key thing is, oh, seems that, to be solidified. Yeah. And uh, really, I think so. Everyone seems to be like, "Yep." Yeah. And there's some new API in the um, oh, Mac OS Sierra beta about mm. um, I forget function key, you know, programmable function key, whatever delegate or something. Somebody found something, some string in some place, and so that seems to be, "Yep, yeah, that's going to happen." But yeah, October maybe before we get new computers. So yeah, it'll be a while. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So you're going to iOS... Uh, where's that one? Take iOS place? Dev UK. It's in uh, Aberystwyth. I've been practicing that in Wales. Wait, is that the one that Nick was saying is like, it's super cheap, actually? Like the tickets? It is. It's like 200 pounds, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. But all the... I, there was another conference going on in France, and it was like... It's like the early bird tickets were like 100 euros. Wow. Or euro. And the non... They're like, oh, that's all sold out. So now you have to pay... You know, 180 euro or something like it's still oh, no. it's still crazy cheap. I don't know how they do it over there, but um, yeah. Well, how many people show up? Or um, I don't know. iOS WK every year they take a photo of like all the attendees sitting in like, yeah. the bleachers or something like that, and it right. looked like a good number, maybe 100 people. I'm, I'm not sure. Hmm. I, I can't. I'm not. You know, they have those crowd estimators, like the police always say. Right. There were like 2,000. Yeah, I'm not very good at that, but you could look at the photo and count. Are the usual suspects going to be there, like Mick and uh, Frosty and Sam? And I don't think Sam is going to be there. I know Mick will be there. Rich Turton is going to be there. Yeah, Rich. Speaking. Yeah. Um, oh, really? I forget who. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't think Sam will be there. I know Mick will mm. be there. Mick's not speaking, but he's going to be there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not sure who else. But... Yeah, he lives over that way, I think, actually, doesn't he? Well, not really. But everything in the UK is pretty close. So I always say, yeah, you lived it. You live by that way. But yeah. I haven't been there since I was a little a wee lad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never so. been, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I haven't. Okay, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, not a very big. Oh place. wow, yeah. The UK is pretty tiny. It it easily fits in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, everything fits. This in is Texas. the uh, this is the geography <laughs> ge- this is the geography portion of the after I show. I think which it's doesn't like, always survive. It's like northeast. It's like the northeast, like the New England states, right? It's about that size. If you combine yeah, them together, yeah. I mean, right? That's about how big it is. So where are you New, looking at New that? England and Old England. I just searched yeah. for Maybe. size of UK compared to USA and oh, looked at the first couple of results. Maybe like you cut California in half because it's, you know, California is kind of long. So you cut it in half. I think that's about the UK, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you were to segment off the part where like San Francisco and Sacramento are. Yeah. Uh, n- the Northern California part, you would just, yeah, I think it would fit there. Yeah. So... Not a hugely big place. Like, it's no uh, Canada or the, or the U.S., you know? Right. I think relatives right. in Korea had the same kind of thing. Because, you know, in Korea, like South Korea, at least, like, everything is, you know, an hour and a half. That's, like, the maximum distance, at corner to corner, or like, three hours maybe drive. So everything is, you know, that means on average something is, like, an hour and a half drive away, right? But you know what? At 64 million people, that's, isn't that more than Canada? It is more than Canada, yeah. We're 30 million, right? I think we're almost 40. Are we? Okay. We just had that census, remember? <laughs> yeah. I didn't look at the results of that. I yeah, know. neither did I. I just heard that the, they were announced. So they are happy with it, for sure. Wow. Wait, Greg, do you still participate in the census, even though you don't live in Canada anymore? Uh, I think I may have missed When was the census, Tim? Wasn't it? Oh, um, it was months ago. Months ago? I think I may have missed it, because I don't remember getting... I don't remember filling it. And I love filling you know, out well, forms, it was, so I don't it remember was, it. Uh, it was... Yeah, and it was optional. It didn't, not everybody got the long-form one. The, the big debate, Jaime, was that they brought back the long-form census, which asked a ton of questions. But uh, not everybody got that. So Carol and I got the pretty much, you know, who you are, how old you are, what gender you are, and that's it. Thanks. I think yes. my, because technically my Canadian address is my sister's address, and I don't think they put me down, so I forget. Mm-hmm. But I did not fill anything in, so I, I definitely missed it. Mm. Do they have a U.S. census? I, mean, I imagine they do, right? Yes, it's uh, every 10-ish years, I think. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a requirement thing that they, like, the U.S. government has to do a census every, I think it's like 10 years, and 
there's always a big push to to tell people, hey, like this is how we know where money should be apportioned. So make sure you you, you know you fill it out. It's a it's a voluntary basis. It's not mandatory for for people to fill out. And oh, uh, really? Okay. Right, and it's um, also something where everybody has to go and explain like this these census takers yes they are you know government workers and volunteers they don't have anything to do with immigration so if you're not here legally it doesn't matter they don't <laughs> Wait, care they're not going to call in the immigration service people yeah, come to yeah. your door oh yeah okay. uh, and, really? and there's there's other different methods but i don't know i'm not actually i don't think i've actually taken the census myself um so maybe i wasn't home when they when they went to do that but uh yeah, it's kind of a, a different thing. It's interesting seeing how different countries do it. Like, I think uh, Australia made theirs mandatory for everybody. So I think they're, they just recently went through one of theirs, I think. Hmm. Yeah, Canada's is mandatory, but it's by mail. They just mail you this form and you fill it out and you send it back. But yeah, I think okay. not filling it in is a, some kind of, I don't know if it's a crime, but yeah, you're supposed to fill it in. Let's see, Australia, significant change... Oh yeah, they're like taking all sorts of data. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm, I don't know. I don't really follow uh, Australian politics too closely, so somebody, I'm sure, will correct us if this ends up on the show. But yeah, it's kind of interesting. Hmm. I remember before elections in Canada, they would have the people come around to the doors and make sure you know all the registered voters were accounted for, that kind of thing. But yeah, I, don't think, yeah. I don't think they do that anymore. But I do remember that. No, yeah, they do. They do do that. Yeah, they, they still do, do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And usually there's a. Uh, um, some sort of person who wants to be voted in tow. Oh, is that allowed? Doesn't seem like it should be allowed. Well, no, I, I shouldn't say that. But at the same time, I think the like you know, if the NDP comes around, the the person who's running in your neighborhood will come and shake your hand, and sometimes the, the leader of the party will come with them. So you never know. Yeah, I never had that. Nobody came to my condo your or condo. Door. Yeah, no. when you buzz, buzz, and can you come down and meet you know? Yeah, Mr. Mulcair is down never, here. Never, never had that. I had some <laughs> big shot in my riding anyway, so he wouldn't have he wouldn't have come by. Who was it? I think it was Glenn Murray was in uh, when I lived downtown. I do who that is. He used to be the mayor of, I want to say Winnipeg. And then oh, really? He, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Got parachuted into Toronto Center and then um, he was the minister of something or other. I forget. Mm. Our guy was Jack Layton. Oh, okay. Yeah, the late, Jack great Layton. Jack Layton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I uh, learned in terms of politics that, that that has nothing to do with current stuff is that uh the canadian representative signed on the wrong line on the japanese surrender and yeah i saw that i saw that that's the copy that they gave to japan though the copy that is in like san francisco or wherever is is done properly they gave the crappy version to uh, japan oh really they yeah. made it tell. it's hilarious seeing everybody like all the so dominion Thanks, of canada, canada which is interesting yeah. dominion of canada yeah. and then everybody else uh Provisional government of the French Republic, uh, Kingdom of the Netherlands, Dominion of New Zealand were all like scratched out and everybody had to shift down. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting. There's a story like the Japanese ambassador, whoever signed, like didn't want to accept it. And he was like, you have to really? do it over. But then the guy in charge, like you can see like he initialed it next to all the changes and then really? they accepted it. Yeah. You can see a little tiny scribble to the left of them all. And mm. uh, yeah. But again, they gave the defective copy to uh, Japan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting on two levels. One, it's like, guys, uh, you 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 know that you're surrendering, right? Like, maybe you should just take this. Um, yeah. And for two, like, I was like, oh, Dominion of Canada. That's kind of interesting. They originally wanted here. to call it the uh, the Kingdom of Canada, 
way back in the day. But then they thought that might they thought that might be too offensive to Americans. Is the story I've heard mm-hmm. to have you know a kingdom next door? They wouldn't like it, so they went with Dominion instead. So mm. Jaime, you know I work at TD Bank. That's the Toronto Dominion Bank of Canada. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's just so weird that like Canada wasn't fully divorced from. Uh, from the crown until like the 80s yeah that's one of one yeah. of the things that pierre trudeau did yeah yeah uh, i think it was until then that canada day you know the national holiday was called dominion day um, right i think up until maybe the i forget when but yeah now we call it canada day aaron did you have something to say about the neural network thing or no no i thought you said you might have something to say on it I did. I did say my piece on that. You fell asleep during that time. Yeah. I thought we skipped right from Dave DeLong to touch disease. Yeah, but we talked about the neural network earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, when you were asleep. Oh, right. About uh, about Mark. Hypothetically. So for those of you driving at home, this is how the sausage is made if this part makes it onto the show. Um, (laughs) It will. Tim doesn't cut things. (laughs) 